Here's of our text I found in Hebrews 11, verses 17 to 19. By faith, Abraham, when he was tried, offered up Isaac. And he that had received the promises offered up his only begotten son, of whom it was said, that in Isaac shall thy seed be called, accounting that God was able to raise him up even from the dead, from whence also he received him in a figure. Beloved, I thought this week when I meditated upon this text uh, to preach on it tonight, how wonderful is Scripture. You can read it and read it and read it again. You can study it and preach on it and study and preach on it again and again. And always it is new. Uh, that's what I felt this week. Uh, when I once more had my attention called to this particular part of the book of Hebrews. You know... This is the third time I preached on this particular text. I preached on it in Holland. And that must have been about 1917, I think. And I thought then that I had a pretty nice sermon. And so did the people think. In those days, I wrote out, I typed out my sermons as long as I was in Holland from beginning to end. So if you're interested in finding out how I preached on it in 1917, you can get a copy ask for it. And then I preached on it in uh, the last period that I was in Eastern Avenue. And then I no longer uh, wrote out the sermon because I was too busy. But nevertheless, I wrote out a long outline. I have that too. You can compare, if you want to, you can compare that outline with the first sermon. And you know, I thought at that time uh, that uh, there was nevertheless uh, something uh, that was lacking. I thought if I had been taken up into heaven at that time, 
and landed in Abraham's bosom. And I would have asked him, what do you think about my sermon, Father Abraham, that I preached? I think he would have smiled. And he would probably have said, oh, it was a pretty good sermon, uh, but you didn't hit the point. I feel that now, beloved. I feel that tonight. I struggled and struggled really all week to get at the real meaning and significance of this text. And I think I can at least assure you uh, that I'm going to proclaim the gospel of this text as they did not do that before when I preached on it. That's why I'm glad that I can preach on this text for the third time. You know, when I read that and studied it, two things struck me. And I'm glad they did strike me. In the first place, what struck me was the absolute impossibility of Abraham's trial. I thought when I read this again and studied it and read the chapter 22 of Genesis, I thought God could not try Abraham that way. He couldn't. He did, though. That was my first problem. And the second was that last part of the text. And that threw a little light on it. And the more I studied that last part, the more I could uh, understand the real meaning of the whole text. That was, that is, uh, this. Accounting that God was able to raise him up from the dead, from whence he also received him in a figure. That's important. He received Isaac from the dead. Abraham did. In a figure. And in the original you read, in a parable. In a parable. And then I saw the light. I think I did. I thought that whole history of the temptation and trial of Abraham, although very real, and although history, is nevertheless really a parable. A parable. If it's a parable that uh, Isaac was raised from the dead, it must also be a parable uh, that Isaac died and that Abraham offered up Isaac. That's a parable too. Of course it is. So the whole thing, although I say once more, although very real, in the experience of Abraham and in the history of Abraham's offering up Isaac, is nevertheless, as to its remaining, a parable. Well, uh, from that point of view, beloved, i like to have you understand a little of my text. I speak on Abraham offering up Isaac, of course. And I, I have three points. I almost say, of course. But the first point is the trial. Abraham was tried. The second point is 
the struggle. When Abram was tried, there was a struggle. That's evident from the text. The text says, accounting, accounting that God was able to raise him from the dead. That means a struggle, accounting. And finally, the victory. Abram, beloved, was tried. And that first of all. And you know, to be tried, trial, as well as temptation, uh, means in general that the way of obedience is made very difficult and that the way of disobedience is made very easy and attractive. That's the idea of trial and temptation. Trial and temptation mean the same thing as far as the idea of it is concerned. Uh, th the same word is used also for both trial and temptation. No different word. And I say again, a trial as well as temptation means uh, that somehow the way of obedience, the way of the fear of God, the way of God's covenant is made very difficult. And that on the other hand, the way of disobedience, the way of sin is made very attractive and easy. Now, nevertheless, God tries. Even though we read in Genesis, God tempted Abraham, uh, the meaning, the idea is there that God tried Abraham, as also is the case in uh, Genesis, uh, I mean Hebrews eleven seventeen. God tries. God does not tempt. In that respect, there is a very fundamental difference between trial and temptation. Although the word is the same, the idea is quite different. The devil tries. Uh, the devil tempts. God never tempts. Uh, God tries. The devil never tries. The idea is, beloved, that when the devil makes the way of obedience difficult and dark, then it is his idea to make the people of God stumble so that they leave the way of obedience and walk in the way of disobedience. You can apply that in a very practical way many, uh, many a time, beloved. In your practical life you have that. Uh, say, for instance, uh, you have a job, you must belong to the union, and uh, your circumstances are such that you like to have the money and need it, and so on and so forth. Uh, but nevertheless, you cannot belong to the union unless you heed the call of the devil. And the devil tempts you, but God tries you, beloved. God tries you because even though uh, the way of your job is made difficult, it is the purpose of God to let you keep that way and never depart from it. The purpose of the devil is, in his temptation, to destroy the people of God. 
to destroy the church. The purpose of God is always to save the people of God. The purpose of the devil is to cast shame and dishonor upon the name and the virtues of God. That's the purpose of the devil. The purpose of God is uh, that through the trial he may show forth the steadfastness and faithfulness of the work of his grace, the glory of his name. That's the difference. Thus it was with Abraham. God came to Abraham maybe at night, I don't know, maybe in a dream, I don't know, or in a vision, I do not know. And he called him. That's, that's important, beloved. That's very important. He said, Abraham. Called his name. And Abraham responded. And he said, here am I. Beloved, that call of God to Abraham must have been very, very clear so that there was no doubt in Abraham's mind that God called him. I'll show you why. You know, uh, mystical people sometimes think that they hear the voices of God outside of Scripture. We do not have, we do not have such voices anymore. We have Scripture. We have the Bible. We don't have any voices of God outside of the Bible. So, you can depend on it, beloved. If you ever would hear a voice, in whatever way it may come, if you ever would hear a voice uh, to command you something contrary to the word of God, you may very well say immediately, that's not God's voice. That is, can be. You must turn to Scripture. But that was not the case with Abraham. Abraham didn't have a Bible. Abraham had a direct revelation. And what an awful revelation this was, beloved. What an awful revelation this was. When I read this chapter, I told you uh, that perhaps it may very well be uh, that uh, Abraham uh, at first uh, asked the Lord, is that really so? Are you talking or somebody else? I'd like to know. Please tell me. Because that was very important. But at any rate, beloved, this call to Abraham must have come very, very clearly and very clear objective language and in very clear testimony of God in the heart and conscience of Abraham. Very clear. Because Otherwise, Abram could never 
never have accepted this, beloved. Let me explain. God said to Abraham, Abraham, go and offer as a burnt offering thy son to me, Isaac, whom thou lovest, thy only begotten son, offer him to me. Now it seems to me, beloved, Abraham could well have doubted. Unless this word of God had been very clear and very emphatic, Abraham could very well have doubted whether this was really the word of God. You know, this command was entirely contrary to God himself. God couldn't say that to Abraham. Couldn't. That was the trouble. When God said to Abraham, Abraham, kill thy son. Abram could have said, beloved, Oh, no, Lord. Oh, no. You don't mean that. You don't mean that. I know that it is contrary to thy will to kill anybody. I made murder. Don't tell me to murder. That's wrong. That's contrary to thy will. Don't you know? That's what Abraham could have said. Abraham could have said, Kill my son. My only son. And that would be pedicide or infanticide. You may tell me to do that. That's wrong. You know it's wrong. I may not kill my only begotten son. In parentheses, I'd say, beloved, God may. Remember that, will you? That's in the text. That's, that's part of, that's part of the underlying idea of the text. God may. God may kill his only begotten son, Abraham mightn't. God may kill his only begotten son in justice. Abraham couldn't. And therefore, Abraham could easily have said, beloved, Oh, uh, God, uh, that's impossible. You don't mean that. Kill my son? Moreover, uh, God said to Abraham, uh, Offer thy son for a bad offering. And again, Abram could easily have said, Beloved, Oh no, a human sacrifice is an abomination to thee, O God. I know an abomination. We mayn't offer human sacrifices. We mayn't. We may offer animals, but certainly not men. Abram could easily, in those three days, beloved, easily in those three days that he went from home to Mount Moriah, have uh, meditated and meditated and thought, I wonder, I wonder, I wonder whether that is really the word of God or the word of the devil. But he didn't. Why not? Because that revelation of God to Abraham was very emphatic and very clear so that there was no doubt that Abraham was called by God. Must have been. Still more, and that's, re that's really the worst. That's what my text emphasizes too. The text uh, 
in Genesis emphasizes rather that Abraham must offer his only son, his only begotten son, the son whom he loves. And that's bad enough, of course. But the text here emphasizes another phase. And that is that Abraham had the promises And that those promises were concentrated in Isaac. In Isaac shall thy seed be called. That was the word of God to him. The promises here, promises here uh, is in the plural, you know. In Scripture, you can have promises in the plural and promise in the singular. All the same thing, principally. The promise of God is always a promise of God. That means, beloved, uh, that is a pledge of God. A pledge. A pledge that God will do something, a pledge that God will give something, an oath, an oath of God. That's always the promise. For that reason, let us never, never, never talk of the folly of a conditional promise that folly. The promise is of God and God only establishes his promise and God only fulfills his promise without us. If there had been, if there would be any condition to the fulfillment of the promise. The promise could never have been realized, beloved. Now, centrally, the promise is Christ. Christ is the promise. And therefore, when you read of the promise in the singular, you always have centrally Christ. Christ, as he became manifest in the fullness of time. Christ, in the year 1 to 33 A.D., Born of a woman, the Son of God, a human flesh, revealing the Father, died, shedding his blood on the accursed tree, raised the third day, ascended in glory, and sitting at the right hand of God. That is Christ. And when you read of the promises, in the plural, and then of course the scriptures mean all the separate promises of salvation, blessings, blessings of salvation, objectively as subject. The blessings of justification, the blessing of forgiveness of sin, the blessing of regeneration, the blessing of sanctification, the blessing of eternal life, all the blessings of salvation. Now listen. By faith, Abraham, when he was tried, offered up Isaac, and he that had received the promises, all these promises Abraham had received, offered up his only begotten son, of whom it was said, that in Isaac shall thy seed be called. 
Now, don't you see, beloved, that uh, Abraham might just as well emphatically have said to the Lord, a Lord that is impossible. You don't mean that. I, I, you cannot mean that. If I kill Isaac, I make the promise impossible. Thou hast given me the promise and the promises, and thy promises are sure, are faithful, and therefore that is true. And therefore what you say now cannot be true. That's impossible. If I kill Isaac, the promise is gone, the promise becomes impossible, because in Isaac shall thy seed be called. If I kill Isaac, my hope is gone, and my faith is gone. That's impossible. That's the, that's the burden of the text below. Now, Abram was tried. That was some trial. Don't you see? That was an awful trial below. Oh, yes. Bad enough that he was called to offer up his only begotten son, the son of his flesh and blood, that was awful. That was bad enough. Caught. That was bad enough. I think in those three days, with Isaac alongside of him, walking from Mamre to Mount Moriah, He must have been stabbed in his heart a thousand times. Don't you know? When he thought of that, and he thought of it, of course. He thought of it all the time. He couldn't help thinking of it. Step by step. On the way to Moriah, he thought of that knife that he had to get in his hand and stab through the heart of Isaac. Oh, that was bad enough. Abram when it was tried, you know, tried. But, although that was bad enough, nevertheless, that is not as bad as the rest. There was a contradiction, evidently, a contradiction. God contradicted himself at seeing. By faith, Abraham, when he was tried, offered up Isaac. He offered him up. He offered him up. He really offered him up, beloved. I think he offered him up, offered him up a thousand times. Really. As far as his experience was concerned, he offered him up a thousand times. No question about it. But the rest of it was that that trial was contrary to the will of God. He had to murder somebody. He had to murder his own son. 
care to murder as a human sacrifice. All contrary to God. And he had to make the promise impossible. That was. That's what God. That's what God said when he said, Abraham, here am I, offer me thine only begotten son, the son whom thou lovest. That was the trial. Awful trial. Worse trial than we can ever be in, beloved. Oh, we can be in trials too. But I think if you, especially if you remember uh, that this trial was impossible as far as God was concerned. And yet, God tried him that way. And then, you must, you must feel something of what Abraham felt on the way to Moriah. And yet, he obeyed. Obeyed. Now, the question is, why did God try Abraham that way? Why? Certainly not because God wanted to find out something about Abraham's faith. God knew it. And the faith of Abraham was God's work. God did not have to find out anything about Abraham's faith. He never has to find out anything about our faith either. We don't have to be tried for that reason Whatsoever, beloved. Although uh, seems that way also in Genesis 22, but that's a uh, human account of divine things. The purpose of Abraham's trial was, of course, in the first place, that God's name might be glorified. That is, that it might become, uh, become evident uh, that the work of God's grace uh, was faithful and strong and could stand any kind of temptation. The faith of Abraham was God's faith. The faith which God had given to Abraham. When Abraham manifested that he would believe God no matter what happened, then God's name was glorified because the grace of God became manifest in the most glorious way. In the second place, uh, this is true of all trial, beloved. All trial of the people of God means that God's name and God's grace may be glorified. You must remember that because that's comfort. But there's also a purpose in the people of God. And the purpose of God in trying his people is always to strengthen the faith of them. To sanctify them and to make them more faithful and strong in the midst of the world. That is the purpose. That was also the purpose here. No question about it. But that's only general. That's only general. That does not explain the text except in a general way, beloved. Doesn't explain the particular phase of the text. The question is, why must Abraham be tried that way? Why must Abraham be tried in such a way that he must offer his son as a parent sacrifice and that he receives him back from the dead? That's the question. In a parable. That's the question. Well, I'll come to that presently at the end of my sermon. Now I want you to pay attention 
to this one phrase in the text, accounting, accounting, that beautiful Accounting that God was able to raise him up even from the dead. Accounting. You know what that means, don't you? It means, beloved, that Abraham did not simply rush into things wildly and blindly so that he didn't know what he, what he was doing. He didn't just simply early in the morning take uh, Isaac and the wood and the fire and all that was necessary for the birth offering and go to Moriah calmly or wildly Rushing into things. Oh no. He deliberated. He deliberated. That beautiful beloved. He counted. He reckoned. He weighed the possibilities. He weighed the two sides of the temptation. He weighed them by faith, as we shall see presently. That's all right. But he weighed them nevertheless. He counted. He counted. We must do the same thing, beloved. As people of God, we must never rush into things wildly so that we can give no account of ourselves to the world and to the church. We must be able to give account and say to the world why we do things. Give testimony of the hope that is within you. Don't just say, I'm a child of God, all right? Don't just say, I believe. Oh, no. Faith gives account. Faith reasons. Not with natural reason, with the reason of grace. But faith reasons, beloved. And faith gives a reason. And faith gives account. So did Abraham give account to himself. When I read that word... Accounting in the Bible. Uh, it's also, for instance, in Romans 8, verse 17. Or 18. I think it's 17. I reckon, I reckon that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory that shall be revealed in us. That's also the same word as this accounting. I reckon, I account, I account that the suffering of this present time, sufferings of this present time, are not worthy to be compared with the glory that shall be revealed in us. That always makes me think, beloved, of a balance, of a balance. Have a balance in your hand. Of the two scales of the balance you do your accounting and your estimating in Romans 8 verse 17 the sufferings of this present time are put in the one side of the scale in the one balance On the other scale is the glory that shall be revealed in us. And what Paul holds that scale, beloved, 
He says, all the sufferings of this present time I have in that scale and that flies well. There's no weight at all. And the glory that shall be revealed in us goes way down. That has weight. So here, accounting, accounting, reckoning. Abraham had the scales in his hand. From Mamre to Mount Moriah. For three days, beloved. For three days. And on the one side of those scales, he had the possibility of disobeying, disobedience to God. I counted. He counted, he counted, oh, I say once more, he counted by faith. He didn't have anything else in mind to but to obey, all right. But nevertheless, he accounted. On the one side of the scales was his son. The love for his son. The impossibility that he could ever have another son like Isaac. Always in that one side of the scale, the belt. He, uh, on that one side, he had uh, the promise, the promise of God. And the impossibility that the promise could ever be realized if he killed Isaac. There was all in that one side of the scale. He counted. I reckon. He said to himself, I reckon that if I obey the word of God, all will be lost. My son, my love, my life, the promise of God will be lost. And... Now the other scale was only one thing. The Word of God. That's all. The Word of God. Abraham, here am I. Go and sacrifice thy son as a burnt offering. The only son whom thou lovest. Go and sacrifice. That's all Abraham had. Didn't know anything about it. Didn't know anything about the reason. It seemed very impossible. It seemed very contradictory. But nevertheless, he accounted. And that account, that account by faith, always clings to the word of God. And to faith, beloved, the word of God has all, all the weight, no matter how it may seem, all the weight. The word of God has all the weight of our entire life, of our mind, of our will, of our heart, of our life. The word of God, the word of God. And Abraham had the word of God clearly in his mind. I know that thou saidst to me, go, 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 sacrifice the son Isaac. That was the only thing. By faith, he accounted. And then came the victory, beloved. Also by faith. Faith has the victory. Faith always has the victory. Not the flesh. And that faith belonged, to that faith belonged the accounting of Abraham. You know, beloved, why faith has the victory? You know why? Because 
a faith clings to God. That's all. That's all. That's sufficient. Faith clings to God. Faith, beloved, let me put it very boldly. Faith is just as strong as God is. Don't you know? You never have to be afraid, beloved, if you believe. Faith is just as strong as God is. And you say God is almighty. Oh, that's all right. Sure, God is almighty. We heard that this morning. That very night. That's very true. Very beautiful. God is almighty. Yes, beloved. But this is still something else. Oh, yes. Abram also knew that God was almighty. Yet God had revealed himself to Abram as almighty. But nevertheless, the question may arise, how much can almighty power do? And that is why this is really much more beautiful yet than the mere concept of being almighty, beloved. Abram believed by faith. Abram offered up Isaac, accounting what? That God is able to raise the dead. That's something else. God is able to raise the dead. That's also something contradictory, beloved. Because God kills. God is the only one that can kill. And now God raises the dead. That's contradictory, but God does it. That's the text. And don't you see, beloved? That's the gospel here. You know what the gospel is here? This. God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. That is the gospel in the word of my text. That's the parable. The parable. Abraham received Isaac back from the dead in a parable. What does that mean, beloved? That means that Abraham all and listen, Abraham had need of that. Abraham had need of that parable just as we have need of this gospel. God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. I say Abraham had need of that parable because Christ had not yet come had need of a parable. Well, I'll tell you what parable it was. God said to Abraham, Offer me thy only begotten son. All the way through Moriah, to Moriah, Abraham, accounting by faith that God could raise him from the dead, Abraham experienced in his heart, the pain of that father's love, beloved, in offering his only begotten son. That was a parable of the love of God to his people. Abram experienced in his love of his son, whom he was about to sacrifice, the love of God for his only begotten son on the cross. That was the parable. 
And Abraham had need of that. That was the love. Oh, Abraham was not a type of God. Uh, men cannot be types of God, beloved. But uh, men can be a parable of God. That's very often in the parables in the New Testament too. Well, this is a parable. I call it the Bible. Here, parable. And the parable is that in Abraham's experience, he experienced the love of God to his only begotten son whom he would sacrifice for the sin of his people. He experienced, he experienced, as he offered up Isaac, he experienced the resurrection of Christ. That's what he experienced. God would raise Isaac up from the dead, but Isaac was not raised up. He was raised up in a parable, but Isaac was the parable of Christ, beloved, in whom thy seed shall be called. And Abram understood, oh, he gradually understood more and more of it, but that was the purpose of this whole temptation of, the, of this whole trial, to strengthen Abram's faith in the cross, in the love of God to his people, the love of God to his only begotten son and the offering of his only begotten son and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. He received his son in a parable. In other words, he saw the resurrection of Christ as the realization of the parable. And so, this is the gospel of the Old Testament. Oh, Abram was about to stab Isaac in the heart, beloved, as you know, as a knife, had his knife in his hand, and his hand raised up and was going to stab him. And then God said, Abram, 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 this is not, this is not. The parable is finished. You cannot sacrifice your son. And if you do sacrifice your son, it would have no value. But listen, I sacrifice my only begotten son in thy stead and for my people that that only begotten son may be raised from the dead and you may have life and righteousness forever. Beloved, by faith, Abraham sacrificed Isaac. By faith, and by faith only, we look at the cross, at the love of God, only by faith. Oh, we cannot possibly do anything else than by faith to look at the love of God at the love of God to his son and at the love of God to us. For we have no experience of the love of God outside of Christ. We are sinners. But by faith we look at the cross. By faith we look at the love of God to his only begotten son. By faith we say, Oh God, so, so tremendously love us that we may look at the cross. God so tremendously loved us and that he will give up everything for us. Everything. Even his son. His only begotten son. Beloved, look at it and believe and be sure that God loved you from before the foundation of the world. Amen. We thank thee, O Lord, that we might say something about thy wondrous word. About that wonderful parable 
through which our father Abraham passed in his experience and which now has been realized in the cross and resurrection of our Lord Jesus Christ. Lord, cause us to hear thy word and to hide it in our hearts and to believe that we may be saved through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen.